Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. In this room, we reverently step into this holy ground of your scripture, and we are open. Let the soil of our hearts be fruitful, ready for the powerful seed of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. So last week, maybe you didn't notice, but I covered chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Romans. My goal today is to land with you guys in Romans chapter 5. But in order for me to do that, I have to pass through 3 and 4, chapter 3 and 4. And we're going to go very fast paced in these uh, uh, two chapters so we can actually stay in chapter 5 and receive this amazing good news. Now, let's review just something very important. The main theme of the book of Romans, it is revealed in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in the gospel... Everybody repeats with me. Say, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. This is the theme of this book. We're going to find out how to get the righteousness, the the standards of God by faith. We're going to enter in this position of right stand to be favored, blessed, saved, reached by God's grace in our lives, and all from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul writes this uh, letter to the church of Rome, and he he really expounds the whole message of the gospel. And there are expected two readers of this message, okay? Three readers that are potential readers of this letter. First group are the pagan world. Those people that exchange the glory of God, the glory of the Creator to the creation. They were bowing, kneeling, worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. They were praising the creation. They were exalting the creation and even themselves instead of the Creator. And Paul writes that the world, because of that, got into a a, a very debated mind. All right, in a debated mind, don't get distracted, I know it would be hard now, but uh, because they were, again, choosing a lie instead of a truth about God, verse 29, 129, they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, thirty, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Jesus Christ, that's a bad world to be. I don't want my kids be raised in this world. I was listening to one of a young adult saying that when he's going to have kids, he want to make sure that he and his wife will be in the church because it's not for Jesus. At least for the community, I want my kids surrounded by good people. Are you guys with me? At least with sound mind people. Like I want my kids to have at least that sense of protection that church produces. Anyways, because the world is bad. And you know that. It's getting, again, from bad to worse. But there was another group 
All right, help me. There was another group, the moralists. Those that says, no, we are not as bad. We're not as wicked as these crazy pagan people. Right? We are not as given to licentiousness as these crazy people. We just keep the white lies. We just keep the permissible and respectable scenes for the sake of survival. And Paul writes to them in Romans chapter 2. Probably not going to work, so it's time to use your smartphone. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse... O man, O moralists, every one of you who judges for impassing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. If it is not in action, in intentions of heart. So don't come and lie to me and to yourself because you are moralist with this right and wrong little list of your upbringing. This doesn't change much. You're still wicked as the world. And finally, the third group that Paul is writing and aiming and literally punching the jaws of these people is the religious people. The, to be more precise, the expression, the religionist. The religionist is more like that pretended religious zealot. And, and, and Paul writes a lot to these people because as Jesus, though that group is the most hard-headed people because they do it, uh, pretentious attitudes of do and don'ts, eat and don't eat, go and don't go, do and don'ts, that they convince themselves is enough to justify them before God. You know that Jesus, from all the groups that related to Jesus, there was only one group that he constantly, repeatedly rebuked them. And it was the Pharisees, the religious group. And Paul does the same here, Romans 2, 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, but I could say, if you call yourself a Baptist, I love the Baptists. But if that's, the, that's your badge, that sustain your righteousness, or if you call yourself Presbyterian, Methodist, Evangelical, Christian, whatever name you put it over there, don't think that this is supporting you in the day of judgment. If you rely on the law and boasting in God, you say, but I know God. Who are you to say that I don't know God? Verse 23, you who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. C.S. Lewis says that pretty much there are two groups in the world. Those people that today pray and say, God, I want your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that your will be done on my marriage as it is meant, as it was designed in heaven. God, I pray for your will to be done over my kids as you intendedly from the very beginning in heaven to be done on earth. Do it your will right now. But the second group is those that one day God will say, let your will be done. Let your will be done as you always desire. And those people you know, those that desire to live in a world without God, they will live for eternity in a place without God. And you know this place is hell. What group are you in? Now, there's a serious problem about religion. Religion, again, deceives us. And Jesus is very intentional into 
combat the mindset of the law or the legalism that holds people in this self-righteousness, this self-justification or excusing themselves because they went to that sacred place. They practiced such ritual. They ate or did not eat certain specific food. Luke 18, 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. And they thought they were righteous by themselves and treated others with contentment, con contempt. So th this is the behavior of the religious, legalistic, people that lie, that rely on the trust of their practices. And Jesus brings this story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a religious, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector, the worst of the sinners. The Pharisee, verse 11, is standing by himself, prayed, thus God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, and unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. Let pause a little bit. Again, Jesus is not against that this man was... Not an extortioner, extortioner, unjust, and adultery. That's good. Keep that behavior. But he did not stop there. He started to now rely on his doing. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, stand far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But bid his breast and God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you. This man, verse 14, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, everybody repeat with me, everyone who exalts himself will be humble. Keep repeating and say, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The problem of legalism, religiosity, is that you exalt yourself. You really think you can fix yourself, you can fix others. You think you are good because you do certain things. There's another story, very famous. This young, rich ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, good rabbi, good master, good Jesus. What should I do to inherit it, to have eternal life? What should I do? Give me the performance I should practice so I inherited the eternal life. You know why he was asking this? Because after apparently or externally doing the right things, the, the emptiness, the, the hollow inside of his heart was there still. He felt missing is still there is something wrong that I don't feel fulfilled. And Jesus replied, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. First clue to you, dude. Don't come pretending you are good when you already said that you are empty. So don't come calling me good as you are good. That's the first clue. Just come to your senses. There's only one who is good. If you enter life, you would like to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus is trying to lead him from the common ground that... He will understand. Verse 18. And he asked, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, 
shall not bear, not bear false witness. Verse 19, honor your father and mother. And, I like this and here. And, verse 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's another clue. That's another clue. I, I know that, again, you may say, I never kill anybody. I never uh, was, I never betrayed my wife. I never steal. I never made a lie. I never said a lie, which, by the way, you are lying when you say that. Obvious. And I, I never dishonor my mother and my father. Really? Don't you remember when you were three years old and the only word you learned was no? No, I won't do it. Come on. Obvious you cannot see yourself, but you were rebellious from the womb. Jesus. But he was not able to see it yet. So Jesus again punches joy and says, just love your neighbor as yourself. That's the third clear clue Jesus is giving him. And the boy is so proud. He's so boastful. He says, verse 20, all this. I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus Christ. If I was Jesus right now. I said, seriously? You lack everything, you blind fool. Don't you see? You are naked. You are blind. You are, don't see yourself in the mirror. You lack everything. But Jesus with his love and care and compassion. Again, with his wisdom said. If you'll be perfect. Go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And, remember the end, that's another clue. And if you really want eternal life, let me say what I'm supposed to do, boy. Come and follow me. Like, come and stop with this pretending of self-righteousness, of self-deceiving, and just follow me. And you know the answer. When the young man heard this... He went away sorrowful, for he had greater, great possessions. So Paul was right. The only way we can get into good news is first being reminded of bad news. And what is the bad news? There's no righteous. None is righteous. There is no one that is righteous in themselves. And he says this in verse 9 of Romans chapter 3. What then... Are we Jew any better off? Are the religious any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. All right, I, I told you guys last, last Sunday that why, this, why Paul picked these two groups. And it's mainly because these two groups, the Jews and the Greeks, they were very prodigious groups. The Jews thought... There are only two groups in the world. We, the, the heirs of Abraham, the chosen ones of God, and the Gentiles. That God created only to kindle the, the fire of hell to burn the infidel Jews. That, that's the mindset of a Jew. Like there's no other category in the world. The Jews and the rest of the world that are going to be destroyed. But the Greeks were also very prodigious group. They, they said there are only two groups in the world, the Greeks, the, the holders of the language of the gods, 
the holders of all the philosophies and the intelligence of the Western and the civilized world and the barbarians. They don't speak, they barb, they just like don't have even words to say. So we speak the languages of gods. And Paul picked on them to say, okay, these two groups, let me say something. You all, we are all under sin. Verse 10, it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And then in chapter 3, Paul follows up with some quotations from Proverbs, from Psalms, from the prophet Jeremiah, and also prophet Isaiah. Just to get to this point in chapter 3, he says, okay, now that you came to your senses, that no one can be righteous on themselves, someone may be asking, but what is then the use of the law? I thought that the Mosaic law was given to fix humanity. I thought that the law that was given by God was supposed to be used to fix people, to repair the brokenness. And Paul, Paul closes his thoughts in verse 20 saying, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since, everybody repeat with me, through the law, Again, through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Paul tells us that these Old Testament books were given as a mirror to show my weakness, to show how unable I am to step in the high grounds of God's righteousness. I'll never be able to fit the criteria to even be saved, considered, hurt by God because I'm so weak and broken. And the law reveals that knowledge to me that I'm broken from inside out and nothing can repair, but I need a redeemer. I need a savior. I cannot save myself. Someone once said, if the problem of mankind was the problem of depression, God had sent a comedian. If God had saw that the problem of mankind was of economy, he had sent an economist. But the problem of mankind was sin, so God sent a savior because that's what I need from the beginning to the end. Amen. There's where comes good news. Verse 21, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, everybody says, but now. But now. Tell, tell your brother, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith. I remember when Paul said that. I remember that that's the theme, right, Pastor? That's the theme of the whole message of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have seen and fall short of the glory of God. But also we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And this all in order to deliver us from this pride, this boasting. That's why he closes in chapter 3 saying, Then what becomes of our boasting? Nothing. Like there's no place for boasting. And, and couples, pay attention, that understand that. They stop to hold the reason of the argument. And they said, you know what? There's no grounds for boasting here. I know she made a mistake. I know she said improper words to me. But you know what? I deserve worse than that. 
She's still cooking for me. So I will forgive her because there's no place for both in my marriage. Parents that are dealing with their rebellious son and says, How dare you, boy, to speak with me? Honestly, I deserve a demon-possessed son. I deserve to be in hell right now. And my son is still even talking back to me. This is amazing. There is no place for boasting. There is hope for my family. There is hope for my marriage. There is hope for my life. There is no place for boasting. There is no place for self-righteousness. And our relationships will be much more light and enjoyable. If we came to this simple conclusion that I could not fix myself even less, my peers, those around me. So why I'll get myself angry and upset with these people? All right, chapter 4, Paul says, okay, I know that I'm writing to you all, but you're still uh, thinking that I'm writing complicated words. Let me be very straightforward, mainly to you, Jew reader. Let me pick two major characters that you guys admire the most. Let me talk about Father Abraham. And let me talk no less than the very king after God's heart. Let me talk about David and Abraham. And let me remind you guys that these two great characters of the Old Testament, they themselves were justified by faith. It was not by their own doings. Yeah, the very father of faith lied and failed in the faith. But God considered his faith as to count him as righteous. David, the same thing. We don't need to talk much about David after killing someone, committing adultery, and even involving the entire nation in a plague because he, out of haste, decided to make a census just to see if he was powerful enough to defeat the enemies. Come on, David, are you dumb? No, he was a man weak like us, but rely on faith alone to be counted righteous. This is chapter 4 in a nutshell. And now, finally I'm preaching. Hallelujah. Chapter 5. Everybody. Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to land it. And after bringing all these thoughts, we come to the end of chapter 4 saying, Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And he opens chapter 5 saying, Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, therefore, that's, that's a clause that opens the reason, the reason why things happen in your life. It says, therefore, because we are justified, because we are counted by faith, in right stand before God, that's I know the justification is kind of a theological word, but it is actually a legal term that implies that there is no invoice open, that my, 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 my plate is clean, that there is nothing written against me. When, when they pull up the system and the records of my past, my past is clean. What? How is this even possible? By faith, tell your neighbor, by faith. By faith, I'm justified, I'm righteous, and because of that, number one, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. Oh, how important is to have peace with God, because this is peace for life. If you are, again, uneasy 
with your relationship with God. Everything else, you're going to see the side effects, the collateral effects of that horrible relationship with God. I know my wife is such a sweet person, but she has that problem to become hungry, hangry. You know what I'm saying, right? Hangry. Like, and sometimes I don't know to discern this, so I ask her, are you angry at me or only hungry? And I need to discern that because I know that because of her misrelationship with her stomach, I suffer the consequence. But there are people that because they have a bad relationship with God, and this is in every, this is everybody, they will spill out in other relationships, their wives, with their kids, with their uh, employees and peers at work. It's horrible because they are waiting. They have an expectation that God is preparing an ambush, that God is setting up during the night something to get you. But we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look, let me say something. Let us not take it for granted, this peace. The world out there do not have this peace. And they try to fill the gap. They try to fill this emptiness with drugs, parties, and again, likes in social media, followers in YouTube, whatever they are looking for to fill up the gap of peace. This is Isaiah writing, for verse chapter 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. But we have the peace. We can be example, witnesses. We can really show and clearly there is a way to have peace with God. Romans 15, 13, may God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. Peace with God. Peace from God. That's the medicine. That's the perfect medicine. For this anxiety problem. For this, again, addicted, addictive, chronical problem of anxiety that messes up with your entire body. That is bringing you this heartburn that is burning not only your stomach, but your brain. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm struggling, Pastor, because I have this, these structures of thoughts, these wrong beliefs that support anxiety. That sustains this addictive, chronical anxiety. That, that flush inside of my bloodstream some adrenaline that I, it is undesirable. And when the phone call rings and I see the name of that person, my heartbeat rate increases. And I don't want that. I know the Bible says anxiety is a problem. And I don't want to step into this hole again. But here I am again, all right, trembling. 
Sometimes my knees trembles. This is the symptoms of people. Tremble. My eyes shake because of anxiety. I don't want that, Pastor. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to destroy the platforms of wrong beliefs that supports this, this anxiety. Go to the root of the problem. How you do it? Paul says how you pray about everything. Be honest with God. So you don't have the answer. Your middle schooler, your kid is asking you, your, your wife, your husband, it's asking you and demanding from you uh, things that they have the right to demand, but you don't have the answer to give. Your boss, your teacher, he's speaking on you and created all this fuss after you and you don't have the answer to deal with. What do you do about it? You pray about it. That's what Paul says. God, my kid is struggling socially in his or her school. I want to help, but I don't have the tools and the resources. Oh, Jesus, I come to you. Give me wisdom. You, you promised me in James that I can ask wisdom, and you're going to give me measureless wisdom. So here I am. I'm asking you wisdom. Father, my spouse, she or he is demanding, is asking their rightful things, but I don't have his strength anymore. I, I'm hopeless at this moment. This moment, Jesus, fill my heart with hope to believe again. Father, I don't have ways to deal with this matter. I'm getting angry. I'm getting frustrated. Holy Spirit, give me endurance. So pray about everything. And as you pray, you are breaking, again, the structures of thoughts that lies to you that God is against you, that God will not intervene in your life. You, you are breaking these thoughts that God is weak and He is deaf for your prayers. So pray about everything. Number two, because of our justification by faith, we have access. Oh, my friend, and if you know how powerful it is and how important it is to have access, you will just shout praise Jesus right now. Why? Because access to the right person when you have a need, it's more crucial than all your academic formation. All your skills you never give you if you have access to the right person. You know what I'm talking about. You may not be the most smart and capable in the company, but if you have the right access, you may get that position that everybody desires. If you have the right access, that situation in the legal system will be resolved in a blink of an eye. Oh, we need access. We all remember the story of Joseph. That because he had access to Pharaoh, he not only saved his own life, but changed the story of his entire family. We all know the story of Esther. That because she had access to the king of Persia, Ahasuerus, she only saved not only her own skin, her own skin, but saved the entire nation. Access is a big blessing. And Paul says, through him, we have also obtained access. Now is your time to give shout and praise to Jesus. Come on, somebody. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's not by chance that Hebrews chapter 4, the altar writes saying, let us then with confidence, let us come with our free access pass to the throne of grace. Let us use the access of grace. And we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Number three. Because we are justified by faith. No suffering is wasted. 
This world is broken. We are in a broken world and suffering is inevitable. But my sufferings are never wasted. They are only venues for God's love. Now, if you really suffered, like really suffered, I'm talking on losing a dear one. I'm, I'm talking about bankruptcy. I'm talking about divorce. I'm talking really suffering. You know that if you reminded yourself of you, who you are in Christ Jesus, that God still loved you despite your anger, frustration, depression, God was still there, that suffering was nothing else but a venue for God's love to restore you and comfort you. And now through the comfort you receive, so many other couples, so many other families are being comforted in the same way. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Yes. Romans 3, 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, never disappoints us, because God's love for us, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Careful with the thought. Why bad things happen with good people like me? First, there is no one good. We learned that. And second, the right question will be, why does many good things still happening to bad people like me? And the answer is grace. The answer is His amazing grace. Third, what you consider bad may actually be good like it was for Joseph as well. Remember Joseph? He was mistreated by his brother, misjudged by his boss, unfairly condemned. But the end of the story, you all know. Everything worked together. Romans 8.28. Everything God made worked together for his good, for your good, for my good. For the church's good. Everything conspired to bless you. And the position to see that is in our justification by faith. Number four. Because of that, we were transferred, transported from the realm of foes to friendship. Romans 5 verse 6. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. You know, that, that's, the, that's one of our exclusive statements as Christians. You're never going to find anything similar to this statement in any other religion, philosophy out there. So I'm going to repeat this again. Deserves a tweeter. Why we were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. Verse 7, for one, we will scarcely die for a righteous person, which by the way, there's none. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. By the way, there's no good person. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were in war against God. And you know, my friend, that if you are having a circumstance with your teacher, you may change your school. If your boss is just speaking on you, you change your job. 
And even if our parents are struggling with you, we may even like, you know, become independent and, you know, rent a room of a friend. But if God is your enemy, where are you going to hide yourself? It doesn't change much if you move to Australia. They have Hillsong there, my friend. God is going to find you. <laughs> so no matter where you go, you know, like, so don't be against God. Be friend with God. But if God is your friend, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loves us. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I don't have much time. So let me skip to verse 10. For if while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God. By the death of his son. Much more. Everybody says much more. So it's one wave of grace after another. Much more now that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? By his life. Let's just believe that God is willing to save us. Preserve us. Bless us. This verse came to my mind. Matthew 10. God cares for our little tiny circumstances but also for our big prayer requests. That today through this message, because you were replaced in the position of justification, that you are good in right stand with God. Let us believe for big things, but not be ashamed to pray for the small things. Number five and last one. We got reconciliation. Paul says more than that. Everybody say with me, more than that. Again, more than that. So again, grace upon grace. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Which means that we got access to, to what I'm calling the favor zone. You, you got yourself into this place, into this room where everything, pay attention guys, everything conspire to bless you. Everything, Pastor. I know what I'm struggling right now in my finances. I know what I'm struggling right now in my health. Yeah, but everything. Because you believe again. You grew in your faith to believe again. That those justified by faith are reconciled with God. Let us always stand up, please. And I know that people may be listening to this message and wondering, that's so good to be true. And it is true. The good news is, it is true. But what is my part in all that? I, I, I thought that I had to make some sort of procession. Or, or some sort of ritual that to, in order to receive that. No, 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 it's, it's useless. All your righteous deeds, religious or non-religious, are useless to place you in that position. What we all need is to come with a simple childlike faith and say, I want to receive. I recognize I don't deserve. I recognize I'm empty-handed, but here I am to receive. And maybe someone is going to watch us listening to this message later on. And need to listen to this message for the first time. To say, 
to believe. That is a matter of receiving. Church, would you help me right now? Just close your eyes. Repeat this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus. I come with empty hands. I come to receive. I have nothing but my heart. Here I am. Enter into my heart. I receive your salvation. I receive your redemption. Today, I call you my Lord. I call you my Savior. And I know that my name is written in the book of life. In your name I pray. Let me hear a shout of praise in this house. Come on, somebody. Yes. If you pray this prayer with us, we want to know you better. We want to create a venue for you to grow in your faith. But I cannot lose this opportunity as we close this service today, guys. Pastor, what to do with such an amazing news? We're ending every message in Romans asking you this. What to do with the gospel? What are we going to do with this reconciliation? With these blessings that I know I don't deserve, but I see them coming. There's a brother that calls me every week. And when I greet him, he expects me just to remind him there are blessings persecuting you today that even when you do not expect, they're going to come to you. And that's how it should be every morning when we woke up. What are we supposed to do with such a good news? 2 Corinthians 5. Let me lay this in your lap before I close this message. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us, say God, gave me the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Say, I am entrusted the message of reconciliation. Guys, the world is in jail when the doors are open, but they don't know that. And you hold the keys, the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Say, I am ambassador for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God for our sake. He made Him to be seen who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Say with me, I am. Say, I am. The righteousness of God. What are we going to do with this reconciliation? We're going to minister. We're going to proclaim it. Look, you cannot hold this message to yourself. So would you commit with me this, this week to share with someone, a, a relative, a friend, someone in your life group, that God is reconciled with them. That God wants to be friend with them. Would you, would you with me commit this week to be ambassador, proclaimers, to stand in your righteousness with God? Close your eyes. Father, we are your church. We are the proclaimers. We are the ambassadors. 
We are the ministers of reconciliation. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill each one in this room right now with boldness. Oh God, with perspective that in you, Jesus, we are justified. We are reconciled, God. We have peace with God. Even our sufferings conspire to become blessings toward us. Oh God, this is so good to be true. And you are our friend. You fight our battles. You go before us. You prepare the blessings before we even ask. Oh God, you have all the blessings already waiting for us. Today, God, we believe big. We believe big, God, because you have great things ahead for each one of us.